Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful, Lord, that you first made room for us. So we now, in response, can make room for you. Thank you, Father, for today. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, for preparing our hearts in worship, Father. Thank you, Father, for doing work both in and through us. Lord, we pray now that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable to you because you truly are our rock and our redeemer. And so, Father, to you be the glory forever and ever. So, Father, we give this over and this time over to you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we are continuing in a series called Make Room. It's a series about hospitality. It's a series that we've been walking through for the last few weeks, and we have a couple of more weeks as we kind of enter into this Christmas season. Um, and so we're really, really excited. You know, we've, making room is about the blessings of biblical hospitality. What the, the, this, the, at the core of the messages that we've been giving is just the concept of what we see in Romans chapter 15 and 7, where it says, welcome one another in the same way Christ has welcomed us. That at the very core of the gospel is biblical hospitality, that we are meant to be both receive and to give. And so each week, basically, we decided to put the tables together and have some interaction with one another. And so today, like every other week, we're going to kick it off in the same way. Um, last week, we... Uh, we talked about the idea of showing hospitality to our neighbors. Um, Paul talked about becoming all things to all men that by all possible means we may save some. There was an evangelistic thrust to what we were doing. How are we to be hospitable specifically to our neighbors? But today we're going to kind of go from um, our neighbors to our family, right? There's a statement that we have here at Blueprint Church. We say that the church is not like family, but the church is family, right, in which we believe that God is our father, Jesus is our elder brother, and we are brothers and sisters in Christ. But we recognize that when I say the word family, that we all have different family dynamics. Some of us, that brings great joy to us when we talk about family. Some of us, it brings great depression and great angst or trauma when it comes to our families. Um, but today, really, what I want to talk about is not going to be talking about how us as children relate to the father. We're going to talk about how us as children relate to one another as siblings, Right, And we're going to talk about what does sibling, how do we show hospitality to one another as siblings? And so I want to kick off the question um, with a few questions, you know, that we're going to discuss at the, um, at the table, the discussion questions. All right, but the first one, but just by a short hand, this is going to be kind of an all-skate. Everybody just kind of raise your hands. Um, based. The first question that I want to ask you guys um, is, where do you fall when it comes to kind of your birth order? Where do you fall in the birth order. So these are three, at least the options that I have, that you're an only child, an older sibling, a middle child, or a younger sibling. So where do you fall in your birth order? So give me the only children, the only children right here. So you're obviously both the old, the middle, and the young, right? The only children here. All right, we got a few of those. All right, how many of the older, the older siblings, right? You are the oldest or the eldest sibling. What about the middle children? That's me. I'm a middle child. Right, we have all type of trauma and problems, right? The, the middle children. All right, all right, what about the younger children? The younger child, you're the youngest. Okay, it's a good mix. It's a good mix that we have here. All right, so understanding, because we're talking about siblings and how we relate to one another as siblings. And so we're going to kind of go back in history. Hopefully this is not too traumatizing for many of you, but we're going to talk about siblings. All right, and here's the first question, and we're going to put two questions together that I want you, we're going to give you a little bit more time to discuss it in your table. This is still not your time to, like, there's no couches here. We're not laying out all the history and going through all the stuff. We're just going to talk, set, set a couple of things, and then we're going to um, interact. But here's the questions that we have. Growing up, this is the first question, growing up, how would you describe your level of responsibility towards your siblings? How would you describe your level of responsibility toward your siblings? There's four categories here, right? Primarily responsible, you were the primary responsible one. Mutually responsible, so there was give and take um, back and forth. There were that you were the one taken care of, right? So there was oftentimes the one looked after. And then you were just not, there was just not a responsibility at all. It was like everybody fend for themselves, right? 
So I want you to state that one, but then I want you to answer the third question um, as well in the same time. So answer that one, where you are, where you fit, but then the third question is, how would you characterize that responsibility in one word? All right, so how would you describe your responsibility towards your siblings, and how would you characterize that sibling? or that responsibility in one word. So we're going to give you a couple of minutes to discuss that, and then we'll come back. So take about two, three minutes. Again, interact. And if you're not, if you're sitting by yourself, make sure you join someone in the table. And if you're up at the top, get a chance to interact with one another. Um, Show hospitable. Make room. Make room. All right, make sure we got about another minute, another minute. So make sure everybody's getting a chance to share. About 30 seconds, 30 seconds. <laughs> 10 seconds. I'm going to give you 10 more seconds. I've been rebuked. All right. All right. We're Let's bring it in. All right. So what I want to do, I want you guys to talk to us. Talk to one another. Talk to, I mean, talk to us or talk to me specifically. All right. And I want you to ask, first I want you to ask, say like where you fit in the line. So whether you're the oldest, the only, the middle. And then I want you to say, just answer the three questions for me really rapidly. All right. So. We got mics coming in. Mics coming in. All right, raise your hand. Tell me some of the discussion. If you didn't get a chance to talk because somebody else hogged it all up, then you can also share with everybody. All right. For um, taking care of, and then if you were closer in age, that wasn't, it was more of a mutual thing. Um, so I think we had a lot of varying experiences at our right. table, depending on the age gap. All right, there you go. Or you can just speak for everybody at your table. Thank you, Jenny. All right, that's good. What else? What else? Others? Come on, Ray, if you, if you have a question or a statement, raise your hand. You don't have to wait for you. Go ahead, Angela. I'm an only child, but I'm, I'm from a big, huge family, so I tended to take care of everybody still. Okay. Even today. All right. You still, that, that's good. Now, did you live with, like, family? The, the so I, I, I grew up in, the, in my grandmother's home, and she has eight children and lots of grandkids, so you can imagine the territorial issues that would come up when they would come to mm, grandmother's house. That's it. You know, because, like, this is my room. Amen. You know? Amen. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Um, we had an interesting conversation because I'm the oldest and she's the baby. And so we were talking about how we're polar opposites. And I was primarily responsible or mutually responsible. And she was not. And that's okay. Oh, <laughs> so you can care for her. Yes. Yeah, that is awesome. That is great. All right. What else? Who else? Anybody? Who else? 
just start handing it to people. Rachel, what about you? Where, where do you fall? What would you guess? I think you're the youngest. Yes. You got the youngest vibe. <laughs> I got a youngest vibe? Yes. I don't know if that's a good thing, but here I am. <laughs> here we are. Yep, youngest. Mutually sure. responsible? We're mutually responsible, because I'm also the only girl. Oh, youngest so and the only like, girl. I had to help them. That, yeah, that's a lot. Right there. I, mean, <laughs> I had to help, help them. By, would, your, would your brothers also say that you were mutually responsible for them? Yes. They would. They would. Okay, they would. good. If they were being honest, they would. If they were being honest. That's what it is. <laughs> that's good. Anybody else? I'm the youngest of, of three, and I would say that I went from taking care of to mutually responsible. It was kind of like a conversion experience. Mm-hmm. My, my older sister, who took care of me, I would say adored me, hit me with a truth, and it hit hard, and I felt it, and that I was being selfish at the time, and it switched me to mutually responsible. Awesome. Look at everybody's thinking about how to rebuke their siblings now. <laughs> that is awesome. Yes. All right. Any more? No one else? No one else? All right. So, uh, oh, go ahead. One more. Last one. So I'm the youngest of two, actually. I just have an older sister. And for a long time, I think we were, I was being the one that was taken care of. But a lot of things, like when we moved and, and stuff, my sister got older, um, we had some family stuff going on, I became the one that kind of started taking care of her okay. um, more emotionally. And so I think that's, that's also important. It's like, yes, we're being taken care of or taking care of someone physically, but also like what we're doing emotionally. And yeah, mentally. that's awesome. All right, that's awesome. All right, so I'm going to ask a question. How many of you guys were consider yourself the ones being taken care of for the greater part of your life? Short hands the ones taken care of, all right, with those for the big part of your life. I'm going to ask you guys a question, right? And I'm going to stay, I'm going to ask you the question. How was it, how did it feel being taken care of, being on the receiving end of being of someone being responsible for you? How has it felt being on the receiving end? Somebody to raise your hand, put your hand up. Let's, let's, come on, keep your hand up. Sandy in the back, let's go. Everybody else makes decisions for you. And then I struggled trying to figure out how to make my own decisions as I got mm, older. So That's it. Oh, okay. So initially great. Now, not so much. Stop, right? That's what you're saying. That's good. Well, I was next to the youngest, but I was a family of 12, okay. six boys and six girls. So it was like in turn, it was where I was taken care of at first. But then I was like, trying to please them right mm. and then when I grew up and realized I knew more than they did because they, I wasted time because I saw them bumping their heads and doing things so I didn't have to do it mm. so they, it benefited me from being the youngest, youngest. and it's like and it. I actually ended up being an aunt at the age of six so it's like I have a lot of nieces and nephews so I was always taking care of them or, or you know and it was like it was fun because I got to boss them around town. You finally got to become the older. Yes. <laughs> that is awesome. You know, one of the things, you know, my, my wife and I, we, we talk about the Lewis Aid. So we're married. We're married. We have six children. The first three were um, girls and the last three were boys. And we often talk about how our boys had four moms, right? Because they have always been taken care of. And now that, you know, we have a couple in college, our last girl is about to go to college. And we're just like, we're about to have three boys who all have that younger sibling mentality. And so pray for us is what I'm saying. Pray for us. All right. Um, no, this is, this is good. Um, this is what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about family dynamics. We're talking about the sibling. You know, I, I just got back. I was in Dallas, and um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Barna. Barna is a, is a group that does a lot of research, and, you know, they do a lot of research and things. And so they hosted, hosted an event, and they just talked about, like, this kind of the current state of church going and, church, and churches right now. And there was an interesting stat that they talked about. They said that over half of urban churches specifically, um, it was, they said up to 59%, 59% remarked that their church feels like a family. Right. And so and that's um, greater, a greater number than suburban churches or even um, um, some of the metro um, churches. And so they said 59 percent of churches and specifically in the urban context, they the statement that they would say that describes them is family. 
right? And again, we recognize that oftentimes in the family, there can be a lot of hurt because when you feel like family or you have family, the hurt is, runs deeper. Right. Especially when you start laying down and there's vulnerabilities and um, all of that that takes place. And so and then oftentimes when we think about like the people who are deconstruction and, and doing all the stuff that's that's taking place right now, the people are ultimately responding based upon hurt that they have. And oftentimes that hurt that they had came from friendly fire or came from church hurt. Right. We all probably can spend a lot of time just simply talking about our own church hurt right, that are here, and that there was a group of people that we felt close, they didn't feel just like people that we attended church with, but they felt like family, because, and they, they were family, but at, at some point, the family went sideways, and it cut us deep, and it cut us um, really, really hard, and, and so today, really, what I want to talk about is just like, how do we show hospitality within our family? How do we make room within with, with all the strange family dynamics. And for that, we're going to look at Romans chapter 14. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 14. There's going to be a lot of notes today. We've got a lot of things to jot down, write down. Um, but part of it is, and a lot of information to cover, we're going to be walking through Romans 14 all the way to chapter 15 and 6. But we're going to do it really quickly. And so we're going to hit it, um, hit it pretty fast here. But the question becomes is, how do we show hospitality within our family, especially with the family dynamics that we have, um, so many different family dynamics. Romans chapter 14, Paul, just coming off of talking about the law of love, he talks about this idea of, of making room and um, outdoing one another and showing love. Right at, um, after that in Romans chapter 12, where it talked about this concept of um, showing honor or showing hospitality, try to outdo one another, right? Because this is after the therefore, that if the gospel is true, right? If Christ has welcomed us, then it's our responsibility to welcome one another. He doesn't just leave it in kind of a theory world, but he then gets very practical and very tangible about how that is to flesh out. But Paul, understanding that um, we all come with different perspectives and different vantage points, he then comes and he um, unpacks what does it look like to welcome. If you remember, we started off this series with Romans chapter 15 and 7. I've already mentioned it today. Welcome one another in the same way Christ welcomed you. He starts off that section. That's the climax of this hospitality section. But he starts off the section right here in Romans chapter 14 and 1, right? In 14 and 1, it says this. It says, welcome anyone who is weak in the faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything while one who is weak eats only vegetables, Right? And so let's just start off. He gives us what first that I believe it to be a summary verse of what you're going to see throughout the um, Romans chapter 14. He gives us this summary verse about, okay, what does it look like for us to, or how does it look like for us to show hospitality to one another, especially hospitality to those that are in the family? And so in that very first couple of verses, what we see is Paul like layering in kind of what does it look like for us to, lay, um, to show hospitality to one another. And he starts off with a very simple kind of overarching statement. He says that we are to first start with welcoming the weaker sibling. He says, start with welcoming the weaker sibling. Um, verse one, he says, welcome anyone who is weak in the faith. And so in here, like if you, if you were just to look at that sentence, right, the, the, uh, verse one, that there are so many levels and layers that are in. It's just like he keeps adding another layer and another layer to each one. The first thing that we see is a first, a call to welcome, right? And this is where we're building the whole series off of. It's, it's hospitable. It's about making room, right? That, that word welcome means literally to take in to oneself right, to take into addition, right, to make it your own. It was a call to accept one another, a call to receive one another, a call to pursue one another, right? And so it's ultimately, it's a call for us to make room for one another. It's, and, and when we talk about making room, we're talking about receiving, accepting as it is your own, to um, be responsible for it. So one of the things and aims that we have here as a church, we talk about being a responsible sibling, right? A responsible sibling, that we, that we are responsible for one another, and that if we are to be responsible for one another, then what we're, what we're saying is that it is 
It is about that you are not here by yourself, and I'm not here by myself, right? It's a take in. But then he goes on and says, not only are we to be responsible, he says, I, I'm calling you to welcome anyone who is weak, right? So he doesn't just say welcome the people that everybody that you like. So come into the church and find the people you like, get with them, talk with them, hang with them, but don't hang with other people. And that can be really easy, especially in a multi-ethnic, multi-cultural church. It's easy to kind of find the people who look like me, talk like me, and act like me, and just find those types of people and then say, hey, I'm going to hang with just them, and that's going to find my tribe within the group. And it's easier to do that. But he says, no, that's not the way we're going about it. He says, I want you to call. It's a call to welcome anyone who is weak, right? And so in here, what Paul is ultimately doing is that he's doing what we all know to do. He's that we already know happens in the church to some degree. He's beginning to segment, put the churches in segmentations, right? Because if there is weak in the faith, then there has to be what? Strong in the faith. And Paul is going to talk about that. And so he's already segmenting that the, the types of people that are in there. And so I do need to start, stop in this for a second just to let you know, when he's talking about weak, he's not just talking about how many people can like bench press, right? Or how many people are like the strongest. But when he's talking about those that are weak in the faith, ultimately, and we'll see, he's talking ultimately about weak as being people who are more, um, have a weaker conscience in the faith. Right. It's sort of like the idea that people that are um, made like porcelain rather than they're 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 made like Tupperware. Right. You guys understand what I'm saying? And so it's not like we're not talking about bad or specifically or good. We're talking about how we approach, because as we're going to see, there's so many different things that cause us to be either weak or strong in the faith. And he's calling us to be to be those to be hospitable to those who are weak in the faith. It's very similar to 1 Peter chapter 3 and 7 where it says, Husbands, in the same way, live, your lot, live with your wives in an understandable way as one that is a weaker partner, right? And again, if you recognize the difference between Tupperware and how many of you guys grew up when you had like the China cabinet, right? Like the China cabinet and we had the China and like what were you supposed to and not supposed to do with the China cabinet? Don't touch, don't mess, because you know that as soon as you mess with the china, you like something was gonna happen, something was gonna break, right? So it's like stay away from there because it's not meant for everyday use. If you wanted a cup of water, don't go to the china cabinet to get water because it's not made for that, right? Per se, even though it is made for that, but it's it's so weird, it's so confusing. That's why we have trauma growing up as children, right? But it wasn't made for that, but it was the this concept of you go to where the plastic cups are, right? Because that's the cups for everyday use. It's more durable. It's more durable, right? And so when he says those who are weaker in the faith, he's saying those who are at a point or stage in their life that their faith is more vulnerable, right? It's more like, and so we got to understand that they don't need to be in all the places. In certain places, their usability and their usage is not as um, frequent in some ways and in certain areas, right? And so we see that. And what Paul is doing is that as soon as we say those that are weak in the faith, your first thing is that you already take inventory. You wonder, like, am I on the weak side or am I on the strong side? So I'm going to take a survey. How many of you guys think you're weak in the faith right now? Like, like the weak, all right, how about the strong in the faith? Like, no, and you guys are like, I'm not voting because it's prideful if I say, and then it's not like, and that's, but that's what's happening. But I know every one of you already took inventory of like whether or not you're weaker or you're in the stronger. And throughout the sermon, you're going to be taking inventory whether you're not, you're weaker in the stronger. And I think Paul is basically, he brings that out. He says, welcome those who are weaker in the faith. And then unless there's somebody that's aimed in your mind or comes up in your mind, then, then it's like, you're just like oh, he must not be speaking to me, right? And so there's meant to target a certain group of people, right? But then he doesn't say, I want you to um, welcome those who are weak in the faith. He adds another layer. I want you to target those that are weak in the, weak in the faith, right? And so what he's also saying in here is like, this is an in-house debate. So we're not talking about people outside. With, this is a family conversation. These are people that are in the faith. 
right? And so we recognize that this is not, we're not talking about the deity of Christ. We're not talking about that salvation comes by grace alone, through Christ alone. We're not talking about the big major bedrocks of the Christian faith that if you say, if you change the message, then you're not Christian. You're saying something completely different. We're talking about the things that are within the faith, those that are in the faith that may have a slightly different understanding or or challenges that you may have. So this is an in-house debate. This this is about family, right? But then he says, he goes, and again, the the next thing he says that a call to be welcome to anyone weak in the faith, but then it says not arguing, right? And so then he comes in and he's like layering this. And I know that is kind of really trauma triggered because I don't know if you grew up, how many of you grew up and it was just like, all right, take care of your brothers and sisters while I'm gone. How many of you got left and had those, those words iterated to you? But then at the same time, it was just like, hey, you're responsible, but you don't have authority. And now you're like, oh, yeah, that I hate those days, right? right? And so he says, so like there's a certain way in the which that we are to approach, not arguing about it. But then he goes on and says specifically around debatable things, right? And that word debatable um, things is basically what he's, what he's talking about is don't argue with the person about their personal opinions. You see, there's certain things like that are in the scripture that are clear that we are to die on those hills, but there are certain things that oftentimes that we're not supposed to get caught up in, debatable things, personal opinions, right? Places of preference. And he says, don't dispute, don't argue, even though you're the eldest or the the stronger sibling, don't get caught up with who has the remote control. Don't get caught up in some of those things. Well, mom puts me in charge. Give me the remote. Like, 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 understand how to wield your responsibility. Right. And so he he goes and he basically established that. But ultimately, the first thing he says is that, look, look, make sure that you are to be responsible for the weaker brother. But then he says, what are the debatable things? Because that automatically goes to what are the minds and when it comes to the Christian faith. And so Paul, he doesn't leave us hanging. And in verse two, he then begins to explain what the types of things that are debatable. He says one person believes that he eats, he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. See, the problem there is that those who refrain from certain foods disagree with those who eat all the food, right? There's certain people that refrain from food. But then in verse 5, he then goes and says it again. He, He says another, he gives us another example. He says, one person judges one day to be more important Then another day, someone judges every day to be the same. The second problem that we have is that there there are some who observe certain days and treat them more as holy, while others don't regard those days as any more holy, right? And so Paul brings these two examples up, one about how we eat, right, and what we eat, and the other about how we observe. Right? We don't argue about those types of things here now as believers now, but back then they argued. Right? What we see right here is that he's, he's establishing there's a difference between those who are strong and those who are weak. So hopefully you're starting to see the difference, but if you haven't, let me break it down for you. There's the differences between the strong and the weak siblings. The strong siblings, the one he is referring to right now, he says to your weaker brother, are the siblings that lives with their freedom. They understand that Christ died for their sins and they are now free from the law. They're free to embrace, right? Paul talked about this last week. He says, to the Jew, I become like one that is a Jew. To one who is under law, I come as one under the law, even though I have the law of Christ, right? He he talks about the freedom that he has to become all things to all men. They live in freedom. That the other thing that we see is that this group, they're okay with living in the grave. Everything doesn't have to be defined and spelled out for them, right? They're okay with having things fuzzy, right, in certain areas, that they would be considered culturally liberal, right? Culturally liberal. They're able to play cards, right? They're able to to drink. They're able to go to parties. They're able to listen to secular music, right? Uh, But they're also 
They, they, have, a, they have an ability to trust their conviction, right? They, they understand their conviction. They trust their conviction. But you see, that's the stronger. Those are some characteristics of the stronger sibling. But Paul recognizes that there's also the weaker sibling. And the weaker sibling, right, they live with, instead of freedom, they live with the sensitivity, right? That when it talks about weak in the faith, they were referencing that it's like it's weak to the Christian conscience, right? They're not able to take advantage of their full liberties, like, so like on the other side of it, like, like drinking, alcohol, watching secular music, listening to secular music, right? Even the fact that some of you, and I've had people in the church, like, why is he wearing a hat when he's preaching? Now, how many of you guys have that, like, why is he wearing a hat? I mean, you have that problem or has had that problem at certain times, right? Those, so those are the types of things that because it's like it's weaker, they're weaker in the faith. Right? Um, so we, we see that, those sensibilities, right? But, they, but it, these people that are weak in the faith, they see things as black and white. This is right and this is wrong. There's no gray. There's no in-between, right? They're culturally conservative, right? And they love to establish clear boundaries. I need to know, Right? Because the reason why they need to know clear boundaries is because they're, they're so easy to condemn themselves. It's so easy to say, man, I, I should have did this. I should have did that. I, like, I'm wrong. Why do I keep messing up? Right? And so they need to know. Right? And so there's, there's clear boundaries that they, that they have. And so that Paul creates these characteristics between the two. But let me just kind of set this disclaimer for us because some of you guys are still thinking, well, yeah, I'm clearly in the strong you know, category here, and I'm, you know, and I'm not the, the weaker. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. When we talk about these disagreements, first of all, we're talking about these disagreements as non-essential things, right? So, when, so we're not talking, again, I just want to reiterate that disagreements are over non-essential things. The second thing, a disclaimer that I want to say, is that, that you may be strong in one thing, but weak in another. You may be strong in one thing, but you're weak in another, right? For me, like if you were to come to our house, we do not drink. We have a dry household. We do not drink. We do not partake of any liquor or anything. And it's like, and so and when it comes to alcohol, I am a weaker brother, right? And a lot of that is because of my environment in which I grew up. In. I didn't see alcohol drunk in a, just a sociable way or it was something that I saw that has destroyed families and caused pain and harm and things of that nature. And so even though we would both say that we do not think drinking is a sin, we would say that we are a weaker brother when it comes to drinking alcohol. Does that make sense? All right. And so there's things, there's sometimes that you're a weaker brother and sometimes that you may be the stronger. So you go back and forth between being strong and weak. The third one is that the strengths and weaknesses is not primarily an indicator of your maturity. There are really, really strong Christians that are weaker brothers. There are really, really strong Christians that are stronger brothers. So it's not like that the goal is that you become strong. He's just delineating these two, talking about the approach that we have as we're engaging with matters, disputable matters, right? disputable things that we have. And another disclaimer is that where you are oftentimes impacts, you know, let me, where you are and how you grew up matters. Because in context, you're going to see the weaker brothers in context are the Jews. The stronger brothers are the Hellenistic. The Hellenistic because they understand their liberties in Christ, where the Jews have been growing up saying, do not eat milk or do not eat meat, right, or pork, having certain dietary laws, certain things. They grew up in the church, and they got all of the church in them. And so whenever they see church not done in the way that they were doing church, it's like, this ain't church, right? And so a lot of what for the Jews is like, I've been taught my whole life to live in honoring God a certain way, for you to see you honoring God in a different way, I have a problem with that. And I, and I struggle with that, right? So how you grew up matters, right? 
But also, whether you're stronger or weaker, we'll lean, um, where, we'll, um, where you lean will allow you to see where your temptations can be. So whether you are a strong brother or a sibling or a weaker sibling, you're going to see where your fault lines are going to be. And what we're going to see in this text is that in here, you have some people that the, the weak, their proclivity is to judge. Where the strong, their proclivity is to despise. You know what despise means? It means to think little of. That think little of. And so you have these two tensions between the stronger brother and the weaker brother. They're wrestling together in here. And so Paul picks this up and he basically picks up in verse 13. He says, listen, that not if you're going to um, welcome the weaker brother that's in the faith, then you have to, you have to stop condemning the Lord's servant. You have to stop condemning the Lord's servant. Verse three, it says, one who eats must not look down on the one who does not eat. And the one who does not eat must not judge one who does because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another's household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or falls and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day to be more important than another day. Someone else judges every day to be the same. Let each one be fully convinced in his own mind. Whoever observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. Whoever eats, eats for the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And whoever does not eat, it is for the Lord that does not, that he does not eat it. And he gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for themselves, for himself. And no one dies for himself. If we live, we live for the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and returned to life for this, that we might be Lord over both. Christ died and returned to life for this, that he might be Lord over both the dead and the living. And then he ends this section off and he says, but you, why do you judge your brother and sister? Or you, why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. Every tongue will give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account to himself, give account of himself to God. You see, Paul basically says that if we're really going to show hospitality to our family, we got to first stop condemning our siblings. Because one, we don't have a heaven or a hell to put them in. Right? And so in here, he says, the problem is a problem of our perspective. Paul doesn't even get in right now and specifically, like, let me not even simply answer this question, but let me kind of pull back and first address the perspective because some of you want to find out theologically whether it's okay to eat all meat or whether it's okay to eat only certain meat. Some of you want to know whether it's not it's okay to um to only observe certain days, and some want to observe all the days. Some of us say that if you work on the Sabbath, then you have a problem. And some of us, is like every day is my Sabbath, right? And so there's so much that's going on right here. And somebody's just like, oh, yeah, 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 Paul, I get all that. But who's right? Who's right? And then we, we want to argue about that. And he's like, here's, here's the issue. The first thing we have to address is the problem of your perspective, right? It's the problem of your perspective that you have, you know, um, and, and I just want to ask, again, ask you another question. How many of you have had the perspective that, you know, it was just like, hey, you could talk about my family, but I mean, I could talk about my family, but you can't. How many kind of grew up with that kind of, like, I could talk about my family, but you can't, you know, there's been so many times that I was just like talking about like whether my, my siblings, my, my, um, or my mom, my dad or whatever, and just talking about it. And then, and then somebody else jumps in and like, hey, 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 red flag, like throwing up, like all of the, like, I can talk about it, but you are. And let me just give you a piece of even marital advice for the married, like, 
That even works between husbands and wives. Like, like if Andy starts talking about her family, I don't, I don't jump in. Like, yeah, you know, they are dumb. I was just thinking the same thing. You know, it's just like, it's not your time to chip in. That is free of charge, no extra. Like, just don't do that, right? It, it also applies for you, right? Even if you are a spouse, right? And so it is, but it has this idea. But so what Paul does, he's like, we got to shift our perspective. And he begins to ask, he said, let me break down and give you three rhetorical questions to help you shift your perspective on why we are not to condemn our siblings, whether they're strong or they're weak. And he basically asks, one in verse four, he says, who are you to judge another's household servant? Who are you? Basically, he says, stop condemning one another because, like I said, you don't have a heaven or a hell to put them in. So why are you condemning? The Bible already says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Who are you to condemn who the Lord has already set free? Right? It says, who are you? So the first one is like, who are you? You're not judge. You're not jury. You are the Lord's servant. You don't have the authority, right? And in that verse, um, what we see is that over, like, and if you just look at verses 5 to 9, go back and read it later, right? And even to 11, right, you see over and over that the emphasis, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, that he says, like, you are not the Lord. So stop judging your sibling, whether weak or strong, as if you are the Lord, your sibling, not savior. And so he starts off with that. So who are you to judge? But then he goes on in verse 10, the first verse 10a, he says, why are you condemning your brother and your sister? But you, why do you judge your brother or sister? He's basically saying stop condemning because it's causing your brother to sin. How many of us gets rebuked? I know we have one testimony that changed their life, turned their life around. But how often times when we're consistently being rebuked by people in the body of Christ about debatable matters, or we continue to argue, we continue to build, dig our heels in the sand, how much of that promotes unity and health and maturity? And right? All we got to do is just go look at Twitter, go look at Facebook, go look at Thread, go look, whatever it is. Right? We just see what it has caused more and more and greater division because we're condemning. Right? And, we, and what we do is that we consider anybody who is weak in the faith is anybody who has a different opinion than me. Right? And so we feel like as the strong one, we need to help. He says, well, why are you doing that? Stop condemning because it's causing your brother to sin. He says, the strong, you're despising. You're looking down on the weak. The, 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 the weak, you're condemning the strong. You're judging because they don't have the same convictions as you, right? Basically, what he's saying is that Christ died for them all. The verse previous to that, he says that Christ died in return to life for this, that he might be the Lord uh, over both the dead and the living. That, that your siblings' right standing with God has nothing to do with your perception of them. Your siblings' right standing with God has nothing to do with your perception of them. And we need to understand that and we need to embrace that and we need to take ownership of that because we spend so much time thinking the other way. And again, what I'm not talking about is that there's a certain thing about being accountable. I'm not talking about not being accountable for one another, but what I'm talking about is that when our accountability come, becomes condemnation, right? Christ died. So he says, why are you condemning one another? And then the last one, he says, why do you despise your, um, why do you despise, despise one another? And then ultimately he says, that word despises, do you think so little of your sibling? Do you even care for their good? Or are you just really concerned about being right? So, time, so many times we don't, we don't even care about how our message is being delivered. We just want to make sure that our message is delivered. Right? And it can cause all type of damage 
towards the people that it's being delivered to. But we got to recognize that communication is always had, there's a, there a sender, but there's also a receiver, right? It's not just one way. And some of us are damaging one another because we're not concerned about the good of one another. We're not concerned about the flourishing of one another. We're just concerned about us and taking care of ourselves. So Paul basically says in verse 13, he says, verse 13, therefore, let us no longer judge one another or despise one another. And he says, instead, instead, his three powerful words that don't skip over, instead, decide never. Instead, decide never to do what? To put a stumbling block or a pitfall in the way of your brother or sister. So Paul says, like, listen, I'm not going to answer this question directly right here, right now. Um, you know, I'll address it a little bit, but I want you to hear these three words. Instead of constantly condemning and constantly judging and constantly throwing rocks on the other side, the weaker brother or the stronger brother, those that you disagree with, those who don't vote like you, act like you, talk like you, instead of doing that, here's another thing. Instead of judging, how about you do this? Don't cause your brother to stumble. Don't lead your sister into a trap. Instead, decide. Decide is a commitment. Like, and so it's not just like whenever you feel like going off, you can go off. Like, you know how we say, I'm just going to keep it real. Have you ever noticed like when you keep it real, it's always like the negative side of you? Like, it's never, I'm going to keep it real. I just love you so much. You know, it's never like... It's always keep it real is when you start, it's like a precursor to me raging out on you, right? And so he says, no, instead of just raging out on one another, decide, make it a commitment to not just go off, decide to edify. And then he was like, well, how often God, you know, because these people sometimes can get on your nerves. And it's like the question that Peter asked Jesus, how many times, Jesus, seven times? He's like, no, no, 70 times seven. And what does he say? Never. That's how many times. You are never justified. One of, the, one of the things that I think is destroying the body of Christ right now is what I call justified righteousness. Justified righteousness. It's the kind of righteousness that I talk about oftentimes, but it's the type of righteousness that when it says, you know, if they would have did that, it's like I talk about Liam Neeson, right? It's the type of righteousness that if you took my daughter, I can go kill 20 other people to get my daughter back that type of righteousness, right? It's the type of righteousness that if you hurt me, that I can demolish you kind of righteousness that justified. And what Paul is saying is, no, here's a new thing. Instead, decide never. You are never justified. The Lord says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. It's not ours to take matters into our own hands. Right? So I've oftentimes said here at this stage, and even in the pulpit, that I've often said that justice is not the goal of the Christian. Reconciliation is. You can have justice without reconciliation. But justice without reconciliation is what the Bible calls hell. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, Jesus will get justice. But those who have not been reconciled to Christ will spend eternity in hell. Justice is not the goal of the Christian. Reconciliation is. You can have justice without reconciliation, but you can't have true reconciliation without justice. So we have to run to the tension, but we have to run with the heart of reconciliation. That the goal is that we are never, ever seeking to harm anyone. We are never that we are to create space. We are to make room even when we feel justified. Why? Because he says, because you can become a stumbling block. You become a roadblock to people's walk in Christ. Or you become a snare to people, right? Paul goes on and he basically says, listen, if you are weak or if you're strong, don't drink around people that are weak. Matter of fact, earlier, I'm kind of softening. Paul says, I will never drink again. But at least don't drink around people who are weak or people that you don't know for sure that are strong. Because you may be sending someone else to fall back into alcoholism. 
So be careful of how you leverage your liberty, strong people. Right? And so he's saying that, listen, this is, we need to understand that don't be a roadblock, don't be a stumbling block to someone living out their faith. Don't be a snare or a trap to get them by, get caught back entangled. Some of us are trying to talk our friends out. They don't take all of that. Let's go back into whatever, such and such, whatever your thing is. When they've told you, no, I, I'm not at that point, regardless of whether the scriptures say or not. I'm not at that point where I can do that. Some of these Gentiles, at this point, they were saved out of, like, idol worship. And so for the, what Paul ultimately says in this book is, like, for us to go back and eat meat sacrificed to idol, we become a stumbling block to a weak area of some of the Jews. So he says, understand that. Understand that. Verse 19 says, so then let us pursue what promotes peace, what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong to make someone fall by what he eats. It is good thing to not eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother or sister stumble. Whatever you believe about these things, keep it between yourself and God. I don't even want to know. Right? Because he says, but blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith. And everything that is not from faith is sin. Basically, what he's saying is that everything that is not from faith, well, he ultimately says anyone, anything that you wouldn't feel comfortable in doing in the presence of God or in response to God or in faith with God wholeheartedly, it's sin. And what I love about this is that Paul is ultimately saying, he says, listen, your consciousness alone is not infallible. You can have a messed up conscience and you may be even feeling guilty about things that are about right and wrong in and of itself that the Lord has not even said is right or wrong. However, if you go against your conscience, you are still in sin. So the Lord can say, drink all you want, do all this you want or whatever. He can say all of those things, but if you go in with a guilty conscience, you are still partaking in sin. And so he's basically said, it's just like what we do in faith is what matters. What we do in faith is what matters. And he says, and it's our responsibility. Chapter 15, verse 1, he says, now, we who are strong. How many of us are strong? We who are strong have an obligation to bear, to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. Each one of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself. On the contrary, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instructions so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures now. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another according to Christ Jesus so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in the one mind and one voice. And then it ends that, state, that section which says, so therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. What's the standard? How Christ has welcomed us. This is so critical for us to get and so critical for us to understand. And as we prepare to take communion, to, to remind us, I, I do just want to say why this is important, why this is important, that we ought to show hospitality within our family. And I think one of the important things is that it stops the performance anxiety. 
it gives us place to rest. So many of us don't have a place to rest. We're trying to be strong in everything and in all areas and in all matters of life. Like when we find that place to rest, it begins to give us freedom to not be strong in everything is to recognize that I'm weak in this. I'm weak in this area. I may be strong and I can help you in this area, but I'm weak in this area, so I can, can you help me? Not only does it stop performance anxiety, but it helps share the responsibility. You don't always need to be the stronger sibling. If, every, if you think and if your aim is to be the strongest sibling in every environment, in every situation, in everything, you are on a road to burnout and a crash course to wrecking your faith that we are able to be strong and weak for one another. And this is why Christ, Paul, I, believe, I really believe that why when Paul asks, he's like, Lord, take this affliction away from me. Take it away. He says three times he asks, and the Lord says no. Three times, no, no, no. Why? Because my grace is sufficient in your weakness. So it stops the performance anxiety. It shares the responsibility. But the last one is that it seeks our Savior for both endurance and empathy, that we serve a great high priest who understands the trauma that we've been through, and he, and he has the authority to lead us and to guide us. And that's why I love in verse 5, it says, now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony, grant you the ability to make peace, to make room with one another according to Christ Jesus. It's not up to us. It's about us surrendering to him. So as we pass out the elements, what I want us to do in this communion is I want us to make room for the Lord because God has called us to make room for one another, but not just simply one another, but those that are weak in the faith that he's calling us to take responsibility for one another. Communion is a time that we, as a family, we say, Lord, you've made room for us. You died on the cross for us. And this is an opportunity for us to remember and that if you are someone here that don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't believe that he has made room for you, that I would ask you to hold off and just pass it on to the next person. But I would ask it also that you would come and you would talk to me, you would talk to Pastor Carly, you would talk to some of the people in the host team, or even talk to someone, your neighbor, and says, I, I want to know what it's like to be hosted by our King, the one Lord, the one Savior. Some of us are too caught up in what our daddy thinks about us, our mama thinks about us, our siblings think about us, our friends think about us, and we've got caught up those people don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. There's one Lord, one Savior, one God and Father that is able to both heal you and save you. And so our prayer is that this communion, that if you're a believer, that you'll be reminded. And if you're not, that at this time you are processing, meditating in your own heart. What would it look like for me to make room. Thank you. So let's just take a few minutes and let's just reflect. Father, we're thankful that you give us a model, you give us an example how to be reminded how you make room for us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that you would help us, Father, to be the people that you've called us to be. I pray, God, that you would give us the ability, Father, to both receive the room that you've made for us and to also make room for others, especially today as we talk about those that are within the family. Father, heal the wounds of the sibling rivalries. Heal the wounds of the trauma. Help us, Father, to be the hands and feet of your son, Jesus. Father, it's through the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives, we give this to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.